Good morning, everyone. Good to see you here. Last time I saw some of you guys, you weren't wearing a shirt because we were swimming at the pool. <laughs> we had a, a church pool party yesterday. It was a really good time. So um, if I'm looking a little over tan this morning, dry eyes from all the chlorine, we had a good time uh, in the pool. It was great. Josh demonstrated the love of Christ for everyone. All the kids just started attacking him and throwing like water on his face and he just went with it. And I think it just went for like 30 minutes or something. I was like, man, that guy really loves Jesus, the way he's doing this with these kids. And um, I was inspired. So um, this morning we're talking about the vineyard. We're still in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter the five. And the Lord plants this vineyard. Has anyone here ever planted a vegetable garden? Or should I say anyone here ever tried to plant a vegetable garden? then you know exactly how expensive it is, right? It's like you could have just went and bought some tomatoes, right? It would have cost like so much more than trying to grow it on your own. Um, I've had such great unsuccess with this um, that I love it. I love the idea of it, don't we? We love the idea. But sometimes we try to grow things and we always, well, I guess we always grow them with expectations. And if you're like me, you probably know what it means to be disappointed when you try to grow things. The Lord planted a vineyard, and that vineyard was Israel. He expected good grapes, but instead, the text says, it only produced bad grapes. Well, what exactly was the fruit that the Lord came looking for? Well, God's divine disappointment is summarized in the final verse we read in verse 7. And this verse 7 uses a poetic uh, convention, a literary convention that we call alliteration. It's the repetition of sounds, and it actually is going to use two words that sound very similar. So I thought it would be fun this morning if we just do a little Hebrew lesson. And the reason why I want to do this Hebrew lesson with you guys, one, because I think languages are fun. I know some of you will. And two, this is the only thing I remember from Hebrew class and all the, everything I studied. So, uh, but it's actually really powerful, and probably when we finish it, hopefully you'll remember it, and it'll make sense to you why it stuck out. So we're going to mispronounce this together, okay? So it says, the Lord expected mishpat, but saw mispak. You want to say that with me? The Lord expected mishpat, but saw mispach. And then this is the one where it really gets amazing. Tzedakah but heard tsa'aka. You guys heard the difference there, right? All right, let's go into the vocabulary of it. So mishpat, of course, that's an easy one, means justice. You guys probably knew that already. But then what you might not know is a word that sounds very similar is mispach, which means bloodshed. And then we got tzidka, which means righteousness. And then we got tsa'aka, which means cry. Of course, these words sound so much alike, right? But they're actually so different, aren't they? So if we put it all together in the text, we find out that the Lord expected mishpat, expected justice, but saw mispak, blood said. He went looking for tzidka, but heard tzedakah. Went looking for righteousness, but instead of righteousness, where did he find? He found a cry for help, the very opposite of justice. 
such an amazing, poetic alliteration, a way to express it, to put it together. It hits home so powerfully, this poetry does. But it also just expresses the deep sadness and the divine disappointment. God planted a garden. He went in expectation. And when he went to that garden to see what it was producing, instead of justice, he saw bloodshed. And instead of righteousness, he heard people crying out because of their oppression. For the past few weeks, we have been hearing God's call from the prophets to live as people of love and justice in a violent and unjust world. And justice is actually central to the agenda of God's kingdom. It's central to what God is doing in the world. And I want to encourage you, if you missed last week's sermon on justice or some of the earlier ones, I want you to encourage, to, to encourage you to go back and to listen in. Instead of focusing on Israel's failure to do justice this morning, I want us to sit with the imagination of this text, which is that of a vineyard. And I want us to think and explore the imagination of the vineyard in a little more of a positive frame. You see, friends, I believe that Trinity Northside is to a vineyard. I believe Trinity Northside is a vineyard planted by the Lord. And I'm pretty sure I would say the same words about you that the Apostle Paul says when he writes to the Philippians. In Philippians 1 verse 6, he says this to them, and I say it to you. I am sure of this, that the God who began a good work in you will carry that work to completion until the day of our Lord. It's God that's begun a good work in you, and it's God that's going to finish what he started. He's going to bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day that Christ appears. I want to remind you that Paul here is writing to the you plural, and almost every time we read in the epistles the word you, it's the y'all, it's the plural. Same thing with, I know a lot of like, uh, evangelical Christians love Jeremiah 29, 11, right? They'll put it on t-shirts and stuff. They got, you probably have the quote hanging up in your dining room, you know. I know the plans I have for you, right? Plans to prosper you, plans to give you a future. And of course, the you there is y'all. God is speaking to his people. And so we have to kind of not forget that these promises often are collective, that God is, is here to prosper his people. But I also want to say that I believe that these collective promises do indeed uh, make their way down to the individual level as well. So I want to say this for you. I believe this for your families, that God's going to finish the good work in your family that he has started. It might not feel like that today, right? As you're in the car fussing at your kids on the way to church or whatever it might look like, sometimes we don't feel this way. I just want to remind you this morning, God's going to finish the good work. I believe this for your growth in Christ-likeness. I'm sure you're familiar with your failures. I'm sure you, like me, a lot of times just feel like, man, I don't 
feel like Jesus. Like the fruits of the Spirit don't seem to be flowing out of my life. And I just want to encourage you that God is going to finish the good work that he started in you. I believe this for the work he has given you to do, both in your vocation in the church and in your vocation in the world, the ways that he wants to use you. He's doing a work in and through you. It's a good work, and he is going to finish it. Vineyard. This morning, we're given this imagination of a vineyard planted by the Lord. And so it allows us to ask some questions like, well, what kinds of fruit might God want to grow among us? How might this fruit spill over in blessings to those around us? What kind of soil might be needed to produce the kind of fruit that God wants? Maybe we could do a little soil test and just ask ourselves, is there any, like a mending of the soil we need, right? Sometimes for fruit to grow well, we need to do a little pruning to make it all work and come together. We might ask God, where might be some pruning in, in my life or in the life of our church where some things might need to change a little to bring about what God desires? Over the last two weeks, I have been watching with deep jealousy of my brother touring Italy uh, with his son, and my dad went with him, and I've got a brother who's in the military, and he's stationed there. And so I'm watching all these great places they went, and of course, Rome is on the list of the great places that they got to visit. And this past week, also coinciding, was August 10th, which is the feast day of St. Lawrence of Rome. St. Lawrence was a vocational deacon. He was a deacon in the church, just like Daryl. Maybe a few less tattoos. We don't know. The icons don't show what's under his sleeves. Um, about 200 years after Peter and Paul had established the church in Rome, uh, there was a Roman emperor named Valerian who began to persecute the church. So by this time, the church was flourishing in the sense that the church was continuing to make disciples and, and raising up people that were testifying to the goodness of the Lord. But most of the people around them were still pagan and the empire was still pagan and the, and the emperor was pagan. And, and at, this, at this point, Valerian decided that he was going to start persecuting the church. Specifically with the target, he thinks, okay, I'm going to take out the, the leadership and I'm going to take out the assets. So he's going after the bishops, the priests, and the deacons, and then he's going to do everything he can to confiscate the money of the church and the property. And at least according to one account, so Lawrence actually had been discipled by someone who became, was to become the bishop of Rome. We know him as Sixtus II, which is funny because the name means the sixth. He's the sixth II, of course, right? So he actually met the sixth II in, uh, in Spain. He's from Spain, and this uh, Sixtus II actually was uh, uh, of Greek origin, and he was a really profound teacher and theologian of his time. And so Lawrence had sat under him and, and became discipled in the ways of Jesus and learned about the faith. And at some point, Sixtus II took off to go to Rome, and Lawrence followed him. And not too long, long after that, Sixtus became the bishop of Rome and made... Lawrence, his deacon. And now Valerian is saying to the bishop, 
you must die. So he's on his way to be beheaded. And Lawrence says to him, you can't go die without me. He says, you've been making the sacrifice at the altar all the time, and I'm always there by your side with you in service. And so how can you go without me in your service? I must come with you. And Sixtus II turns to Lawrence and says, you've got a little more work to do. You're going to follow me. You'll be right behind me really soon. But you hang back. I'm going to go do this thing. After they behead Sixtus II, they come to Lawrence because they know at this time the deacons were the ones that managed the wealth of the church and would distribute the money to the poor. Just like we see in Acts, right? Like the apostles say, hey, we want to focus on the teaching. We've got these deacons. They're going to take care of the poor and kind of manage all the offerings we get. So they come to Lawrence and they say, hey, we know you've got control of all of the money. We want you to bring it all to us. And if you do that, we're going to let you go. We're going to let you live. So he says, okay, I'll do that. I'm just going to need a little bit of time to get it all together. I'm going to gather the treasures of the church that you asked for. And so Lawrence goes and begins to take the treasures of the church, the so-called treasures, takes the money of the church and begins to do what deacons do. Just make sure it's all distributed to the poor over the next couple of days. And then what happens is they call Lawrence before, b- before the Roman authorities and they say, okay, where are the treasures? He's like, okay, I've got the treasures. And Lawrence had gathered some of the poor, some of the lame, some of the widows and the orphans. And he said, these are the treasures of the church. Not the money you were looking for. This is what we truly value. To which, immediately, the Roman prefect said, we're going to burn you. So they pulled out, and I think he's the only one we know of that got this, the gridiron. They basically just stuck him on a large grill, and they burned him to death. And he went so courageously and so composed that as he was burning, he is said to say to the prefect or, or these executioners, I'm done on this side. You can turn me over to the other. <laughs> Friends, that is the way you give your life away for the Lord. This is like probably my patron saint, like smart aleck to the very end. Uh, we're going to say something disrespectful, even as we're getting burned to death. But it turns out this spectacle left such an impression on the pagan onlookers that many were converted to Christianity so that many point to Lawrence's death as the end of paganism in Rome. St. Lawrence of Rome is considered the third patron saint of Rome. So we've got Peter and Paul, the founders of the church there. Lawrence is right behind them. And if you go visit Rome, you'll see churches and chapels all over Rome dedicated to his honor. I wanted to talk about Lawrence because it illustrates God's vineyard gone right. It illustrates producing the kind of fruit that God wants. And on many points, it's actually kind of the opposite of Israel's story. So I want us just to reflect a little bit on some points from the story of his martyrdom. First, I want us to remember his profound love of God. It turns out that Lawrence's entire life is dedicated to the service of God. He had already given his life for Christ before his actual martyrdom. 
He was already dead before they killed him. The commandment, the number one commandment from our Lord is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul. Friends, above all else, the vineyard that bears good fruit is the vineyard that loves God above all else. And so I just wanna remind you and encourage you this morning, we have to love Jesus. We have to tend to our relationship with him. We've got to invest in that relationship. We've got to allow the spirit to order our affections and we have to have the spiritual practices we need to order our affections so that we fall more and more in in love and commitment to our Lord. Second thing I want to note is Lawrence's refusal to bow down to pagan gods and the dominant powers regardless of the cost Friends, the vineyard that bears good fruit, it refuses to compromise with worldly powers, whether that's political or economic or academic. The vineyard that bears good fruit refuses to worship at the feet of altars. As it says in Exodus 20, you shall not bow down to them and you shall not worship. And so this morning we can remember that compromise will prevent us from producing the fruits of love and justice and mercy and holiness. The third thing I'm so impressed by in the story of Lawrence is the profound witness to the values of Christ's kingdom. And by that, I'm referring to how he's not willing to let Rome define what treasure means. Like Rome has its version of what treasure is, but he has his own version. And as the people of God, we are formed by God's word in the body of Christ. And we need to allow God's word and the language of the church to define our values. For instance, the content of the word love for us has to be first and foremost defined by the cross of our savior, right? by the God that loved us so much that he gave his only son for us. So for us, we have a context. We have a story that fills in the meaning for words like love. And we have to know that that this wonderful world that we live in, it's gonna have its ideas about what love and justice and goodness are, and that's well and okay with us. We just have to be careful that we aren't allowing the culture around us to define these terms for us. We belong to the Lord and we've been set apart to bear good fruit. Another thing I'm struck by here in the life of Lawrence is that unlike Israel that was failing to do justice, Lawrence spent his entire life in service to those on the margins. And he spent his final days in the same exact way. Making sure the needs of the poor were provided for. And at the same time, naming their dignity and profound worth in the eyes of God. I don't want to go too far here talking about how God is looking for the fruits of justice. We've been talking about it so much over the last few weeks. But I do want to quickly note how Lawrence's ministry to the poor 
was a ministry that recognized their value before God. His ministry to the poor recognized their value. And by implication, there's ways that we can do it that don't recognize. For instance, if what we value most is wealth, then we will always see the poor as lacking in what really matters. But if we recognize that the, the poor are what matters to God and we value people more than wealth, we might begin to recognize that without being in relationship with the poor, we actually lack what matters. Basically, Lawrence is able to do the work of justice without making a God out of money. Are you picking up on what I'm saying? If our work of justice reinforces the importance of wealth being the, the total end of all things, then our justice really isn't the Lord's justice. The fifth and final thing that I'm struck by here with Lawrence is that Lawrence was a martyr. And that is simply the Greek word for witness. In his life and in his death, he testified to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that testimony had a profound impact on a city. Brothers and sisters, I am confident that God is going to finish the good work he began in you. The vineyard that the Lord planted here in North Atlanta will continue to grow and to bear fruit. I believe God is going to raise you up like a Lawrence to become a witness, a church that lives and dies for the sake of the gospel, a church that is an effective witness to the beauty and the goodness and the truth of her Lord and a sign and a foretaste of God's coming kingdom. We are God's vineyard, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's project. The vineyard he planted will bear good fruit. Amen. I want to invite you to reflect on what the Spirit might be saying to you in this time as we enter a moment of silence.